0: Hello and welcome to the Locked On Seminoles podcast. I'm your host, Wayne the III, Florida State beat writer for the Tallahassee Democrat. And today's, uh, today's episode of the podcast is going to be focusing on some recruiting news. I've got Chris Nee of Knowles 247 coming uh, coming on the podcast. and We're going to talk about some recruiting, talk about Clemson. And uh, then tomorrow's podcast will will be uh, the prediction podcast where we preview the Florida State-Clemson game and I get my prediction. But... Before we get into that, if uh, if you don't know who I am, like I said, I am the Florida State b writer for the Tallahassee Democrat. I've covered Florida State for each of the last four years. I started off as an intern on the KnollDigest.com on the Scout Network, and I worked my way up to the publisher of that site before... Becoming the Florida State beat rider for the Tallahassee Democrat in August of twenty sixteen. I cover football, baseball, basketball, and recruiting. I football, I'm at every 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 event that Florida State that Florida State has. Practice, you know, interviews, games, I'm at every game, home away, bowl game, it doesn't matter. Anytime Willie Taggart speaks. Basketball, I cover every basketball home game as well as any postseason basketball games. I was out in Nashville and Los Angeles for Florida State's Elite Eight run. Uh, this past year, baseball I cover any home baseball games as well as any postseason baseball games. I was out in Omaha for Florida State's run in the College World Series two years ago, and then I cover every major and minor recruiting event that Florida State has. So I have a pretty good idea of what's going on on around the three major sports around Florida State's program, and uh, I think that translates pretty well into this podcast. But we're going to jump right into it. So. Uh, Chris Knees coming on of Knowles 24-7, and we're going to talk a little bit of recruiting here in just a second. So, Chris, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Sure then. Uh, <clears throat> you've been in the recruiting game a long time. This is obviously Willie Taggart's first year doing it. What, um, what do you make of where he, the Florida State recruiting stands under him so far?
1: I mean, according to our team composite ranking, they're number 10. I think that's a pretty good spot if you consider that. They're a 4-3 football team. They're also a football team that's very much in transition. William and his staff are a recruiting staff. They're built to recruit. That's their greatest strength, in my opinion. They also showed late last year, the stretch run of December into early, uh, the January, February, the early portion of the year, but the end of that recruiting class, that they were able to pull off some things that were somewhat far-fetched when they walked in the door. Jaden Woodby would be a good example of that. You know, for what they're doing for the 2019 class, it really comes down to how they finish. They're sitting at 10. I don't think their rise can be any greater than maybe five. I think five is even a little bit of a stretch at this point. I think, you know, best case scenario is probably seven, eight ish. They could also drop some. A guy like Kayvon Thibodeau out in California is a huge piece of the puzzle. I think he's also a statement guy. That kind of guy jumping into your class says a lot, regardless of your record, that a guy of that kind of talent from across the country is willing to come play for you probably be an instant contributor replacing Brian Burns as far as the roster spot next year. You know, it says a lot. It kind of sends a message. It's one of those things that re- will reverberate with kids in his class and upcoming classes, and I think it has a lasting impact. Obviously, it's also very important for FSU to get better on their roster. That begins with offensive line and linebacker. To some degree, they've struggled with recruiting linebacker. They've got Jaleel McCray in the fold. They also have Kalen Deloach, but they really need two others They were swinging for defenses, going for guys like Derek Hall and Kobe Dean. Both of those look like pipe dream at this point. They're going to have to kind of fall back on plan B type guys and figure that out. That's something we'll see develop over the coming weeks and months. On the O-line, they need some Band-Aids. They need some JUCOs, guys that can come in and at least make them better and certainly help their depth immediately. JUCO recruiting is kind of done in a vacuum. It's not like high school recruiting where you recruit guys for 10, 12 months. You court them, you kiss them, you love them, and you hope you land them in the end. JUCO recruiting is a business decision. You get a kid in for a visit, you explain what the depth chart situation is, how they fit into your plans, and they kind of figure out if it's the best case for them. They've got one to two years to try to do what they want to do to get to the league. They're going after a lot of really good JUCO kids. There's an offensive lineman committed to Penn State they definitely like. There's a couple other guys they're looking at, and then there's always possibilities of someone that's been on a D1 landscape already who went to JUCO right of coming back to D1 landscape. So it's very important for them to not only fill needs, but also make some statements. Uh, Tyler Davis is a head-to-head with Clemson at defensive tackle. Great player, would be very good on their roster. William Putnam's a head-to-head with Auburn and Clemson. Excellent player, offensive lineman, position of need. You win enough of those battles, you make some statements and kind of set yourself up for a great stretch run.
0: Yeah, I was watching, Um, you mentioned Jaleel McCray. He's a guy that's, yeah. I think we, we've talked about a lot uh, since he committed because he's had two major knee surgeries. But I was watching his film, and yeah, I really like what the kid brings. He's smart, he's athletic, even after the knee injuries. And um, he's just got really good football instincts. The obvious question there is, is he going to be able to stay healthy? You, know, you have Kalen Deloach at linebacker, who you know Auburn's making a, a big run at. So the linebacker position is kind of up in the air at this point. Um, who are some of those plan B types? I know Lee Pogba is one.
1: Yep. Uh, Jordan Richo at Uli is a kid that they like. Jordan definitely would love to be recruited by FSU. He's a kid that's made a great deal of effort of being on their radar. He's come to camps. He's worked out for them. He keeps up communication with them. He comes to games. He's a guy that if they asked him to jump on board, I think it would be an easy get. Sometimes you don't want to do that because you, want to, you feel there's better talented players out there you can go pursue. So he's kind of in – for lack of a better term a plan b type um i think lee is certainly one capoga um poga i'm not 100 percent sure if decay is completely silent or not he's a guy that they definitely like he's a talented kid he kind of fills the role of what Nakobe would have been he's not near the player nicobe is but he's still talented he can make you a better defense after those guys you know truthfully at this point they haven't really pushed for anybody and, It'll be interesting. I don't think they want to go Juco at that position, but it will be interesting to see if they maybe kick the tires with some Juco linebackers.
0: You know, um, one of the guys, we've talked about it a few times, but where Raymond Woody the third fits in, his father's obviously yeah. the linebacker's coach. I call him a defensive
1: athlete when I write about him. I go out of my way. He, he would prefer to be in the secondary. If it's up to Little Ray, he wants to be a defensive back. That's what he fashions himself as. My opinion is he develops and grows into an outside linebacker type role. Now, I think he's kind of similar to DeLoach Loach in how he would fit into the FSU defense. You know, Jaden would be kind of a nickelback type role of a linebacker. But you can have multiple guys like that. It doesn't hurt you. And you can move those guys around. I mean, heck, this year, FSU's essentially played with two guys from that role playing two different linebacker spots because Kalen Brooks very much worked at that role early on. Mm-hmm. Um But, yeah, I think Woody's a guy that can help you at the linebacker spot. But I I don't think you want to walk up to him and say, hey, you're a linebacker for FSU. I don't think that's – I mean, he's a sensible kid. He's the son of a coach. You know, he gets it. He understands the game better than most. But he doesn't want to hear that. He wants to hear defensive back, secondary. But I literally – I refer to him as defensive athlete. I do believe long-term his success will come at the linebacker position.
0: Who's the one player that's that's committed to Florida State that excites you the most?
1: Ooh. Currently committed excites me. I mean, Akeem Dent's a stud. Akeem's a put him on an island. He'll compete. He'll go for the ball. He can take on your number one receiver. I mean, those guys are tough to come by, and he's a great one. I think we kind of take for granted his greatness because he has been committed for so long. Uh, you know, from just a straight excitement standpoint, yeah, you know, they don't really have a lot of offensive skill in this class, so that's a position they got to work on. So there's not a guy that's flashy on the video like that, you know, like in years past a Cam Akers or a DJ Matthews, that receiver guy that grabs you like that. I, I like Kalen DeLoach a heck of a lot. He's not the biggest dude, but he works his backside off. He's a strong kid. He's a physical kid. He flies around. He hits. I mean, I think FSU needs to up the ante with being a physical-type team, and I think he's the kind of kid that kind of sets that tone. So, for what they need, I think he's definitely in that. And I think Akeem Dent, just from a pure talent standpoint, is extremely special.
0: You know, uh, I'm going to go out and say it, Coach Co. if you're listening to this, it's Travis J. Yeah, Tra- The answer is Travis J. Yeah, Travis
1: is an no, and he's very much uh, – Travis is very underappreciated. If he played at a bigger – and I'm using quotations there because Madison County is a very good school that wins state titles, but a bigger platform school in Aquinas of the world, for example, he would be thought of much differently on a national – a stage and he is he he's he's a stud man the staff here loves him for a good reason you know every time they have had him on campus worked with him they gush about him the previous staff did the current staff did that's a lot of smart football minds
0: absolutely um you know Travis is physical he can play corner he can play safety he can do a lot of different things in the secondary and you know he still has that underdog type mentality because he was so underrated when he uh you know when he first started out i mean he's still coming to camp or he was still coming to camps in the fall trying to compete against the best he i mean he performed pretty well against george pickens when pickens was here for saturday night live um you know he wanted to go head to head with him you want to talk about dudes that will
1: excite you? george pickens falls in that category george is kind of offensive player that if they land a receiver in this class that's the type they want and they need they need a special big outside receiver who can light it up who can compete with the best of the best and george is certainly of that sort and jaden hazelwood who's kind of at this point a pipe dream for fsu is another one who falls in that category
0: we'll get back to the recruiting talk in uh, in just a minute but before we get into that we all love a night out whether it's seeing our favorite band in person or being there in the crowd to cheer on the knolls with vivid seats you can attend the concert show or sporting event of your choice at a great price vivid seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you want to go to and you can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice To make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive $20 off orders of $200 or more to save even more money. Go to the App Store, Google Play, and download the Vivid Seats app. Use promo code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, that's locked on, all capitalized, no spaces, for $20 off orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee, so make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats get, get you to your favorite live event.
1: It almost sounds like you were reading that, but you nailed it.
0: Thanks, buddy. Appreciate <laughs> that. Um, so the big recruiting question that's on everybody's mind, is Florida State gonna keep Sam Howell? Um, I know there's a lot of dynamics that goes into this and that question won't be answered before the end of the season. But where do you stand on that?
1: The cliff note version is I believe as long as Walt Bell's in Tallahassee, Sam Howell will end up in Tallahassee. That's the cliff note version if you want to keep it short. I, I think Sam ends up at FSU. I think, I think it's unfair to say he's completely shut down wholeheartedly, solely focused on FSU, and I think it's unfair to say that. He very much has a wandering eye and is looking at others. I think Sam is an FSU commitment who, in terms of firm or soft, is more firm than soft. But I think he's also a sensible kid that's made sure not to shut off the possibility of other options if needed or necessary. At the end of the day, if he was signing today, I believe he would sign with FSU. If Walt Bell is here at the end of December when he signs, he'll sign with FSU. That's what I believe at this point with his recruitment.
0: You know, as we, you talked about the linebacker position in the and in the offensive line position is two really important positions, and both are. But with the way the quarterback position at Florida State has gone of late, you know, there's a chance that DeAndre Francois is not here next year, right? Yeah. And that leaves James Blackman and whoever Florida State brings in as the only scholarship quarterbacks. Um so I guess maybe my first question is does Florida State try to get a second quarterback in this class? I know Lance Legendry, um formerly a Kansas commit, was on their radar, but do you take the chance and Bring in a, a quarter, a second quarterback with Sam Howell, or do you, you know, because maybe Sam's not uh, not too happy about that decision, but because I, of numbers, do you have to?
1: I think, yes, you have to. And I think Sam would be fine with it. I think Sam's a competitor and Sam knows how talented he is and how tailor made for an offense like this he is. I think you sign Sam, you get him enrolled. He's an early enrollee type. And then in January, you try to close out with a second quarterback. I think at this point right now, Lance is still the main other name. He would make that room a little more athletically gifted, something they want in this offense. He's also a kid that's competitive but probably needs a little more time than somebody like a Sam Howell as far as walking in the door and being able to contribute. So I think you can sign two and still create distance between the two that makes common sense while building a depth chart.
0: Yeah, I mean, it would definitely make sense if – if you're going to do that with Howie, you don't bring one in um, to early enroll. That's, I think that sends the wrong message. You bring one in that's going to come in in the fall where he already has the leg up. Um, you know, he's, he's going to have a leg up on any quarterback that they bring in regardless because he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the country but it sends the right message that if you, as long as you let him know you're going to recruit a second quarterback but you're going to be bringing them in signing day so he'll already have the step up yeah. from the spring I think he's, that sends he's, the right message
1: you give Sam the 15 spring practices the other thing with quarterback recruiting is truthfully right now there's not a whole lot of good ones available quarterback recruiting very much is a June-July segment most of it's off the board then what you do is you wait till December, see what coaches are getting fired, what coaches are leaving, how college football is going to shake out. You see if one needs, you know, top 20, top tier quarterbacks that's currently locked in somewhere, suddenly becomes a free agent and maybe pursue somebody like that. I don't think right now it makes sense to pursue a guy who seems very firm to another school just to kind of irritate the guy that you really want that is very firm to your school or fairly firm to your school and see them How
0: important... Is Sam Howell to Florida State's uh, recruiting class not because of like the position but because of him as a recruiter and how important having a you know talented quarterback is for skill position players and offensive players overall?
1: I think it's extremely important simply from a perception standpoint. You're trying to rebuild an offense in your image and Willie Taggart's image, you need a quarterback who can run your offense in that image. Sam Howell is a quarterback who can run your offense in that image you need to have that to sell it to other offensive recruits. And he's also a guy that will help you with recruiting. He's not the most outspoken guy. You know, you'll see Dante Lucas be more active, but he will do some recruiting. He will make an effort there. That's important to have that voice, a peer voice, to kind of uh support what the coaches are saying, but from someone they're the same age as a fellow recruit.
0: Yeah, I mean we saw him uh when Pickens was, was on campus for Saturday Night Live. I mean, Howell was in his was in his pocket. Yeah, they, and they... that's
1: much more his element. I don't think Sam Howell is a social media recruiter or a very vocal recruiter in that sense, but I think when he's with other kids at camps, at events, at games, at things like that, he's very comfortable at doing that. And it's funny, like, Dante Lucas will get on social media and be very vocal. Sam will do some of that, but it doesn't seem to come as natural as it does someone like Dante. But you're very right about Sam on campus. When we see him with other guys – it just is a natural fit. And he Sam's respected. Kids know who Sam Howell is. They know how talented he is. They know he was one of the four best at the Elite 11. That carries weight. That's kind of a natural get yourself in the door and have the conversation with your fellow recruit.
0: The uh the offensive line position we're going to we're going to go back to it. Right. <laughs> Cuz Charles Cross, I don't know, <clears throat> Florida State got on him early. Um, he had an okay camp. But yeah, you know, I, I I hold one play against him. But yeah, you can't let it go. I can't let it go. Um, <laughs> but he he did have an an overall good camp. Uh, he's clearly athletic, and he clearly has the what Florida State is looking for as far as the frame. He's obviously picked up his recruitment. But Florida State needs at least one more tackle. Um, you know they'd like another interior offensive lineman. Will Putnam obviously came in last week. That seemed to go very well for yep. the, for for Florida State, but finding another offensive tackle, you mentioned the JUCO guys. Evan Neal, it's Miami, Alabama. How does Florida State get back into this and can they? Uh,
1: I think it's a two-pronged attack. One, you got to convince mom that academically FSU is a great place to go that can give you some of the same offerings that a University of Miami can because I think mom is very much in love with the academic offerings of University of Miami. Excuse me. And their family that, you know, academics matter to. Mom and dad both very much feel that way. And Evan's a kid that cares about his academics. Secondly, with Evan, you need to convince him that it's a place that not only can he play early, but that the process that they'll utilize will prepare him in three to four years to go pro and be an all-pro offensive tackle on the next level because he loves that about Alabama. He believes if he goes to Alabama, he will develop into the NFL player he's capable of being and go have success at the next level. He loves that. He loves that process. He's loved that for years, and it's had a lasting effect with him. That's what you have to do. You have to prove those two things. And unlike Alabama, you can tell him you can walk in here and compete for day one starting potential at FSU. To me, Evan Neal reminds me a lot of Navon Donaldson, who went to Miami and played very early in his career, took some lumps, but has developed into a really good regular starter for them now. I think Evan kind of follows a similar track if he went somewhere like FSU.
0: We know that he would likely come in and be an immediate starter at one of the tackle positions. He's extremely talented. But how does Greg Fry go about showing someone in one year with not a lot of talent, how does does he go about showing him that he can do that?
1: I I think you put on film, you talk to a kid, you – share examples of your coaching career where you've had success with guys, developing guys, putting guys in position to be successful, and you just fully explain it. And you make the point that you were handed somewhat a mess at the school you came into, and, while you've improved that mess. They've gotten better as an O-line this year. Some of it can't be fixed. Some of it is just natural, built-in, poor talent, poor roster development. There's issues that – existed before Greg Fry ever existed in Tallahassee as a coach you, you just have to pitch the sales pitch to the kid has to be right you have to nail it that I am good at what I do and I think Greg is a guy that if you talk to him enough about offensive line play you come away convinced that he knows what the heck he's doing I think you just have to win the conversation you have to convince the kid have him buy in that he's a. He's the benchmark. He's the beginning of what you're going to be as an offensive line in the vision of Greg Fry and Willie Taggart offense. It's not what they have on the field this year. You're, you're the future.
0: All right. In the, right. got one more segment to go. We're going to talk a little bit about Florida State Clemson. But um, before we get into that, are you sick and tired of paying for 20 channels you never watch when you just want to see Florida State win sometimes? Uh, Sling TV is the best way to watch college football. $30 a month gets you ESPN, the Pac-12 network, the SEC network. It'll likely include the ACC network once it finally comes out next year. It's, there's no useless channel, no long-term contracts, no hidden fees, and you can cancel anytime. You can stream on your big screen and all your favorite devices. So sign up for Sling TV and get your seven-day free trial. Locked On listeners can get their seven-day free trial by going to sling.com forward slash locked on. That's sling.com forward slash l o c k e d o n. So make sure to give it a shot. All right. <clears throat> Florida State Clemson. Florida State is a between 14 and 17 point dog in this yeah. game. If it's 16 and a half, which I saw it as 16 and a half yesterday, it's the largest home, uh, it, it'll be the Florida State's biggest home underdog. Biggest line against FSU. Thank you. There you go. I'm, I'm here struggling. I am struggling. Biggest line against FSU since what, UF? No. It'll be U- 30 years. F-
1: yeah, but UF 09, was it
0: 09? Or no, UF? It was uh, 2008 was, um, 14 was and a half? 16. 16, okay. I knew so, it was in the ballpark. Yeah. It, it'd be the biggest line since then, and I went and checked covers.com. Yeah, and their history years. 85. 85. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. larger. This is the largest home deficit Florida State's had in over 30 years. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Uh, yeah, which is, you know, a credit to how good this program has been, even during the uh, the dark ages. Um, how does Florida State win this game?
1: Play a very, very clean game, a very efficient game, shorten the game, which I think you have to do by running the ball somewhat effectively, but you have to stick to the run, you have to run it a lot. You can't. You can't be out there three and out in nine seconds and put your defense right back out there. You're not going to survive if you do that multiple times in a game against a Clemson offense, as talented and explosive as they are. Uh, you got to force turnovers, no doubt. you got to take care of the ball on your side. you got to get to Trevor Lawrence. you got to pressure him. He's a special dude. Uh, we both know him from the recruiting process. We know how good he was. Him and Justin Fields were a very special class at quarterback, but a freshman in college against a lot of superior athletes. It can still be a challenge. You can still do things, disguise some blitzes, you know, hit him a couple times, get him them, get them just feeling uncomfortable in that pocket. Uh, you know, everybody loves to focus on Trevor Lawrence, and I get it. He's special, but Travis Etienne's a freak of nature. He, every time he carries it, damn near goes for a first down. So, you know, you gotta, you got to keep him in check. Because he's run defense has to be what it's been consistently this year, which is very good. And then on defense, you got to create the turnovers. You can't allow the big plays. you got to make Clemson earn it. You know, Clemson's gonna score. They're gonna get theirs, but you got to make them earn it. It can't be 50 plus yard explosive plays like they love to bust off. And then special teams has to be an asset, not a pain in the. You know what? You know, you, you need Ricky to make kicks when you set them up for good field goals. You need Logan to have a consistent day. You need the coverage to be there. You need somebody like a DJ Matthews or an Anthony Grant on kick returns to get you that hidden yardage, make short fields, maybe put points on the board. You do that, it's a recipe for an upset, but it's gonna be a heck of a task.
0: Yeah, just looking at the numbers, I mean, Clemson's numbers are right up there with Alabama, and Alabama has been spectacular this season. Uh, There's a reason Clemson is the number two team in the country. They have an incredible defensive line. Everybody talks about their defensive line. Their offensive line, it may be just as good. Yeah,
1: I mean, they, they got Mitch Hyde, who's about to start his 50th career game. That, That is a mind numbing stat. One, not a kid is there as a senior to do that because he started since he was a freshman. And two, the fact that he's actually doing that.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, Florida State's Alec Everly's at like 45. Yeah.
1: Mitch Mitch has, had, Mitch has had a little more go. value, Clemson. <laughs> but I think I think the Clemson line has something like 140 or 150 appearances in their career, and over 100 plus starts as a unit. And the group has been the same consistent unit throughout the year. So yeah, they're kind of you know there's a reason they've run for what 1776 yards this yep. year, and that they're able to stand there and stand in the pocket and go downfield that they have the time to do it. It's because they have the best O-line they've ever had under Dabo and the best O-line I can ever remember at
0: Clemson. Yeah, it's it's been, you know, that, that's, that's what happens or why Clemson's been so good is because that offensive line and defensive line have been able to grow with each other for so long. And now it's gotten to the point to where they're just completely dominating people. I mean, this is the best uh, front four and front five Clemson's ever had. I think I mean ever like this is this defensive line has four guys that are going to be drafted in the first three rounds, two of them could go in the top ten, yeah, so you know they 're going to win the trenches florida state 's defensive line is going to have to uh, is going to have to really step up and put pressure on Trevor Lawrence. Um, that's going to come with some linebacker blitzes. Florida State has to be better at getting – when they do blitz those linebackers, those linebackers have to get home.
1: Yeah, it needs to look more like Emmett Rice last week against Wake and less like what we usually see from that yes, position.
0: Yes, less like DeCaylen Brooks against Louisville. Yeah. Um, it's – Florida State's got a, uh, It's I mean, it's a monumental test. You talked about Eddie N. You talked about Lawrence. That doesn't even include the uh, the wide receiver unit, which is – I mean, maybe either top, the best or top three in all of college football. T. Higgins, hey, that's the number one overall receiver two years ago. And then you have Dustin, uh, Justin Ross, who was a five star receiver.
1: About six, four guys.
0: Hunter Renfro's in his 17th year <laughs> at Clemson. That dude's going to hit senior citizenship before he, uh, before he leaves. And, you know, the, the, there's just so many weapons. Um, you know, Clemson's roster is what Florida State's roster really looked like in the 90s, where it's yeah. just completely deep. and so- 2013. Yeah.
1: You're going to take pictures of Clemson, what they have on the field. They're 22. It'd be like every one of those guys played in the league. And they might have a couple that don't. But in general, everybody that's going to line up against FSU on their two-deep starting on Saturday. I'm sorry, not their two-deep, but their starting, starting on both sides a majority of those guys are going to play on Sundays. I mean, they're an extremely talented group. They have – I asked Stanford Samuels about it this week. Most teams, you can focus on that guy, the receiver. Greg Dortch for Wake, for example. Jalen for uh, Louisville, for example. But Louisville didn't have the quarterback to, you know, do that. But with Clemson, you got a quarterback who can distribute like crazy. And you got four receivers you got to be focused on, two of whom are six four, and one of whom's is a freak of an athlete in T. Higgins. So that's a hell of a lot to deal with as a secondary. I do think the one place Clemson is uh, susceptible, their secondary. I don't think their secondary is great. I also don't know if we know what their secondary is. Ryan Finley didn't have much success against them. That was disappointing to see from a scouting standpoint. But it hasn't been tested a whole lot this year, outside of that game facing quality passing attacks.
0: Finley's not a guy that's going to be able to beat uh, beat teams downfield. That's just not who he is, yeah, and that's he, not the way the Clemson or the NC State offense works. Yeah. Uh, DeAndre Francois, as far as passing downfield, is going to be the best quarterback that Clemson's faced so far this season, and maybe for the rest of the season overall.
1: Yeah, the pack's much more dink and dunk. Well, if this year is much more go vertical and go big.
0: Yeah, so it's going to be fun to watch um, <clears throat> on the the next episode of the Locked On Seminoles podcast. I'll be back and giving my preview and prediction. That'll be, uh, that'll be out on Friday. But for this edition of the Locked On Seminoles podcast, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. It's Thanks been, it's been fun. Uh, but that'll do it for this edition of the Locked On Seminoles podcast. I'm Wayne McGahey. Have a wonderful day.